0: If you take somebody like a Crazy Bee or Credit Bee, their cost of customer acquisition is 300 rupees to get one customer. A bank selling a credit card is 2,000 to 5,000 rupees. Now you look at the exponential delta by which you're competing and that is what we look for where are these companies able to rethink the market itself. Middle India, people making between 3 lakhs and 20 lakhs a year in family income or even 3 to 10, which is really the range, for most of them, they think daily, weekly. So, somebody like a smart staff in their app is now allowing factory workers to actually encash their paycheck every week. So, these founders are leveraging technology to find a way to change the industry itself.
1: Hi, wherever you're listening to us, I hope you're doing well. Welcome to Startup Fridays, weekly conversations with accomplished entrepreneurs and VC investors. I am Harirakli, and in this episode, Bala Srinivasa, Managing Director at Arkham Ventures talks about experiences from the firm's first set of 14 investments or so from their $106 million inaugural fund. Bala started out with an engineering degree from the prestigious BITS Pilani but immediately figured out that engineering was not for him, he says. He embarked on a career that took him from being a Wall Street analyst to product management in a software startup to running sales and marketing for a company that was offering outsourced services from India and Sri Lanka to hedge funds, banks and brokerages in the US, not in IT but in analysis for capital markets. Over the last four years, Bala and his fellow founding partner Rahul Chandra at Arkham Ventures have backed entrepreneurs who have successfully applied technology to create business innovation in areas including financial services, agriculture, modern staffing, and augmented reality. A second thesis at Arkham is software as a service. And Bala also talks about why Indian SaaS companies mostly prefer the US as a market. Bala, welcome to this podcast. Thank you so much for making time for this. Arkham, of course, is a well-known VC investor in the Indian startup scene. But maybe you could start with uh, telling us a little bit about the path that brought you to being a VC investor. I mean, I know that you were with Kalari before Arkham. So give us a snapshot. I know it's a long journey, three decades, uh, engineer to VC investor.
0: Yeah, I know. thank you. Thank you, Hari, for having me. I'm looking forward to this uh, conversation. Yeah, three decades makes me feel very old, but look, I wouldn't exchange it for anything else in terms of the experiences. If I started from the back, um, in terms of where I started my career, really breaks up into three parts. There is a part where the first seven years, I used to be an equity analyst in the uh, public markets in the US. Uh, Really the beginning of tech and Silicon Valley in terms of uh, a lot of the great companies you see today. So I used to be an analyst in the mid 90s, just when uh, after Netflix had gone, I'm sorry, Netscape rather, (laughs) Had gone public, and uh, you know you had the emergence of a lot of different uh, uh, different companies over there. So did that for about seven years, and then kind of made the switch, which kind of I've done a few times in my career. Switched to a startup itself, an enterprise software company that later became a SaaS company uh, in the pricing space. I used to run product management for them. Then I ran sales for them. And then that kind of led me into India, which we can talk about separately, a company called Amba Research, where um, I learned the hard way and then finally the skills of trying to do sales and marketing from India for the world. And Amba had four founders, all of them are Wall Street directors of research. And unlike many startups, which today I wish many startups would do what those founders did, when they hit about uh, 10 odd million, um, three of the four founders decided to step down where they felt if you're truly going to scale the company, we need to bring uh, folks from the outside and uh, they brought a whole management team in and I was brought in to run our uh, sales marketing uh, for AMBA and then uh, I had a, a colleague who's actually very well known in the startup ecosystem, Hari and uh, who's written many books Uh, Hari Hari was uh, most recently with Big Basket. Uh, Hari came in and then there were a lot of other, uh, a couple of other folks joined the management team. And uh, then we ran the company uh, until it was acquired by Moody's. And um, lastly, over the last, uh, you know, last part of uh, uh, my career has been as a VC.
1: Okay. Again, uh, to reiterate what I said earlier, well-known VC firm, but maybe you can give us, A brief history of the uh, firm. How did you all, uh, the main founding partners uh, of the firm, get together? And let's go from there.
0: Yeah. So, you know, uh, Arkham as a firm um, kicked off in, this is our fourth year as a firm running, right? And uh, we're a $106 million fund, uh, tech focused. And we have a very specific thesis, which I can talk about later, So Rahul and I have known each other for a long time. My partner Rahul is also a Bitsian um, and uh, Rahul was one of the co-founders of Helion. And uh, interestingly, uh, AMBA was a Helion portfolio company. So not only the bits overlap, but Rahul and I uh, had a uh, intersection via Helion as well. And when I joined Kalari, I'd been in touch with Rahul. And then, you know, towards the end of uh, 18, we started talking about what is what is different about vc in india and we started seeing a lot of founders actually go past building and innovating for the top uh, 50 million indians right and we started seeing more and more founders building innovation on top of india's digital stack and we started calling it middle india and we'll uh, we'll explain the thesis a lot more and we felt that there is an opportunity for a brand new vc firm That is kind of focused a lot more on the massive markets of India, middle India, which is 400, 500 million Indians making between three lakhs and 20 lakhs a year in family income. And that became kind of the dream that led to uh, starting of Arkham. And uh, Arkham itself means limitless in Sanskrit. And we felt uh-huh. we were meeting so many founders that had these dreams of building solutions for the mass market of India that it made a lot more sense for us to take all our learnings from a Kalari and a Helion. And kind of put a you know a, a new entity on the map. So so that ended up with Arkham with a hundred and six million dollar fund, and we kicked things off in twenty twenty, early twenty twenty, right with COVID, by the way.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, you all closed the fund itself in twenty twenty, did you? Our first it?
0: close was twenty twenty, okay. and then uh, you know it, it was about eighteen months after that we had a final close. Mm-hmm.
1: So so you throughout you've been investing, right? Yes, mm-hmm. we've been investing. And even a cursory look at some of your investment companies, uh, uh, kind of. One feels that uh, there was a sort of strong interest in backing uh, new kinds of financial technology uh, entrepreneurs. I mean, Smallcase, I think, is a fantastic example. I I was just blown away by the simplicity that they have brought to the approach of diversified investment for the ordinary guy who does not need to know anything about. Exactly. Just figure out what you want to do. And so uh, a really exciting company. And, And I realize that you all have invested in other entrepreneurs like that as well. So maybe give us a sense of uh, how you pick that theme, And then maybe we can also talk about what, what else you all are getting into now.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Hari. So, so look, uh, just building on what I was saying, um, part of what, in fact, one of the things we are pretty proud of is a vast majority of our portfolio. You know, companies like A, Credit B, companies like Smallcase, companies like Ajar, I'm just giving you a couple of fintech examples to start with, but also folks like, uh, uh, you know, that we that we have like a Kusmat, et etc. Many of these companies wouldn't have existed five, seven years ago. Mm-hmm. So part of what we are looking for is, is this company building a product and a solution that takes advantage of the digital rails that have been built in India? And by digital rails, we don't just mean, Aadhaar and EKYC but a lot has happened with UPI but we have always felt even from the beginning of this fund that it is the digital rails in India are really available for everybody else it's the innovation you build on top of that like if you take a small case the elegance of the underlying technology platform that simplifies investing for literally hundreds of millions of new to investing Indians is very important, right? So if you take somebody like a Credit B, they were our first investment, by the way, in the fund, what really blew us away was, hey, in 2019, we found a company where you could download the app and essentially complete an entire process and have money in your bank in 15 minutes, okay? Okay. Unheard of in India, usually you go to the bank and you take your photograph, your father's photograph, and everybody's birth certificate, you keep going back and forth, right? So what we saw was the vast majority of Indians who need money are not like you and me where, you know, SBI is going to give you a minimum loan of one lakh, right? But there are people who want small ticket loans and has technology finally made that market completely open? And Credit B was our first investment. Today, they're doing over a million loans a month, right? Right and they've got over a billion dollar book and uh, they're doing extremely well. So part of what we look for is founders who come in and look at the most essential markets of India. So when we say middle India, people making between 3 lakhs and 20 lakhs a year in family income, what really matters to these sets of consumers is five or six core markets. Hey, what's happening with money, financial services? What's happening with my health, which is healthcare? what's going on with the way i commute and go to work which is logistics uh do i have the right skills or can do i have the right education for my children right and these four or five markets actually drive 90% of their wallet share it is not going to be hey high end gyms it's not going to be high end fashion clothing etc cetera, etc cetera. so we are looking for founders who believe in the scale of these markets. Like we have we've, we've invested in a company called JAR and JAR is in digital gold. I mean, you can actually start saving every time you buy a coffee, you can save, you can round off that purchase amount and save in digital gold. The company's hit 10 million users in about 18 months. And they are also innovating and trying to find ways to take advantage of and help Indians with an asset class they love, which is gold. Right. So all these companies have innovated on top of this digital stack. And the underlying theme for us is really what we we view as middle India digitization, which we think is a generational theme. And even today, there was an article in The New York Times about UPI in India. It's a very nice article. And we've all in India known this for the last seven years. Right. Which is you can go buy a coconut for 10 rupees and pay without, you know, taking anything out of your wallet. But that's a very powerful change on which you're going to see many, many layers of services built for the ordinary Indian.
1: Yeah. So you're backing, like you said, in a way, horizontally across verticals. But there's also the sort of digital underpinning. You've you figured out, you've found entrepreneurs who are bringing some serious digital innovation to all these different kinds of problems. Um so maybe just to extend this, uh, in terms of you know the model, uh, Arkham Ventures investment model, can you talk about typically and historically, uh, at what stage do you like to get in, uh, and and how do you like to work with uh, founders? Sort of walk us through all of that.
0: Yeah, and and just to give you a sense for. How we operate, right? So we are a very thesis-centric firm, and we typically—what I mean by that is there is a second part of our thesis, um, Hari, which is we invest in middle India digitization and we invest in SaaS companies. Now you may argue, hey, what does that mean, right? You've got two two pillars. So there's a real reason for that. We find that a lot of our middle India digitization plays tend to be category creators. They're creating a brand new category. You picked up the example of small case. If you take a small case, you take a credit B, uh, you know, you take a Kisan, which is farmer credit. They're all building brand new categories. Somebody like Smart Staff, which is one of our companies, that is helping. Uh, it's it, they're really digitizing uh the workforce where you can essentially think of them as team lease 2.0 okay you are able to essentially find workers across verticals and help companies hire workers without the workers getting fleeced by you know middlemen which is contractors etc and still adhering to all the laws right So these are the category creator types, Hari, in the Middle India digitization story. But there's a lot of small businesses that are part of India's growth that fall into uh, small businesses in India and globally that fall into our SaaS bucket. So to give you an example, we have a company called SignZ that helps small businesses get their KYC done faster. So almost every major bank in India uses uh, SignZ. Before it would take a room full of a thousand people at an SBI three weeks to be able to onboard a small business that's applying for a loan with Sciences, AI and databases, you can get it done in a week, right? So you've dramatically reduced the time it takes and the efficiency. But that's very important for a country like India to scale, which is how do I remove, grease the skids and remove the friction? Uh, We've got a very cool company called Cusmat, which is again taking blue collar skilling so one of the largest uh you know cost elements for an industry like mining for example right is fuel and labor right an open pit mine where you drive a uh, excavator down an excavator costs maybe a million dollars and it's driven by a blue collar worker and it usually if you're going to train somebody else to do that, it'll, you sit three months next to you know the person who was driving it before, and you hope that the person learned it. And there's a lot of damage you can do to the machine, to other people, as well as to the mind if you don't know how to do it well. Cusmat is actually taking VR technology. It's an Oculus headset, and it's like a cockpit simulator where you go in and pick. Hey, it's a Caterpillar type of machine, and you're taking a blue-collar worker who's used to moving things around put them into a virtual environment and they are able to reduce the training time from say three months to 10 days, right? Again, an example where, and this is a SaaS company where you're again having huge impact on India, but this is now a global product. They've got customers coming in from Indonesia, Malaysia for verticals like, uh, you know, construction and mining, so on and so forth. So those are the two pillars of our thesis, which is small businesses and consumers, category creators and SaaS companies. Mm -hmm. We typically invest between one and three million as a first check into our companies. And what we are looking for typically is, is there some visibility into the customer value prop, right? We will do a seed deal occasionally, but most of our companies have been where we find the intersection between the founder, the customer value prop and that market. And we feel that, you know, this particular company checks the boxes in our mind in terms of all three areas, right? In terms of what they're doing. And in terms of our thesis of what we are trying to do. And so far, you know, we've been fortunate that we've got a great set of founders who have been able to to do this. And typically, we'll invest up to 8 million in a given company. We may start out with a 2 million check on average. Mm And we get very involved with our companies and we are very choosy. We see about 1,200 companies a year. We invest in about six. So every year we've invested in six companies. And that is what I meant when I said earlier, we are thematic, which is our Middle India digitization plus SaaS. But we are also very deliberate in terms of the amount of time we take to research our companies, to check things out. And yeah, we may miss a few companies along the way if somebody wants an answer tomorrow, but we can move very fast. But we, we really make sure we leave no stone unturned in terms of understanding the company.
1: In some ways, um, do the SaaS investments provide a bit of a hedge, given that uh, the entrepreneurs are trying to solve problems for India. I mean, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but one of the biggest challenges they probably continue to face is that how to actually make money out of their solutions with the Indian market, whereas that probably may not be a problem if you're an enterprise SaaS company serving a customer in the U.S.
0: That's a great point. Uh, I think it's it's an inherently positive point for us. Uh, in, in addition to what you said also that SaaS companies don't consume as much cash as a category creating company, right? But having said that, let me point out a couple of things, right? A lot of our companies, so we've got, uh, now that we're going a bit deeper, we've got a very specific framework by which we assess any middle India company, right? And many of our middle India companies are have scaled and scaled profitably. So for example, if you were to take a Credit B, Credit B actually does uh, about, you know, I don't want to get into their actual numbers, but they do several million dollars uh, a month in terms of net profit, okay? And this is a company that's doing a couple of hundred million dollars a year in revenue, Right? And that's the company is about five, six years old. And this is really what our imagination is when we try to invest in a company saying the days are gone where you keep plowing investor money and you hope that you're actually gonna go out and ever one day somehow find a Walmart to buy you or something like that. And Flipkart has really been the company that's put India on the map. But the way you had to do it before is not necessarily the way you have to do it today, where many founders, Going after Middle India digitization, know that they have scale, but they also know the onus is on them for profitable scale, right? So a lot of our companies, including the Jai Kisans of the world and, you know, the companies like even a smart staff where a typical staffing company may have a margin of about three or four percent, somebody like a smart staff is in double digits, So finally, the promise of leveraging technology to unlock new profitable business models is there. You can actually see it in our companies, right? Mm -hmm. But when you come to SaaS companies, yes, we want our SaaS companies to grow uh, in India, but the value of India for them is, again, you know, having a large number of customers, experiencing scale with these customers, but then having an India cost structure to go global. And to your point, we think the biggest challenge for the typical SaaS company out of India, if you take having a world-class product as a given, without that, you're not going to succeed. is just GTM. Go to market from India to the US primarily or to the rest of the world. And there we feel we bring a lot to the table, uh, just given our past experiences in helping companies. You know, I've run global sales teams. And if you talk to our SaaS companies they will tell you that part of the value they get from Arkham is how deep we can get, roll up our sleeves and work with them on it.
1: So, by and large, the the preference or attraction of markets like the US is that one, probably it's just that for the same effort, you get paid in dollars versus, uh, you know, I don't know, like $1 versus even 10 rupees that someone, an enterprise customer might be willing to pay in India. Are there any other important uh, reasons that, Especially enterprise saAS companies in India prefer to sell in the u s
0: yeah i mean i I think the i would i could point quite a few so if you look at saAS companies out of India, one of the big reasons in the to sell to the u s is simply from a pricing perspective. I think Indian companies now look India has come a long way. there are several companies we know, even part of our portfolio that are doing You know, north of $10 million in annual ARR from India, right, which five years ago you would have said, wow, you must be crazy. That's not going to happen where Indian companies are learning the value of software, SaaS software, and are willing to pay meaningful subscription, often a couple of hundred thousand dollars a year in terms of subscription revenue but for the same companies you know us can be 3 4x that in terms of what you can get yeah. but the second reason i think is there are many founders who have built companies in the us who have come back which which was they which was true 10 years ago but the reason these Indian companies are going after the U.S., which is the, as the largest market you need to go to, is today there are full-fledged teams available in India to go after that market. There are product marketing teams, there are product managers, there are pre-sales people, there are BDRs from India who are able to help you build a GTM that is way more efficient than, from a cost perspective than what you would be able to do in the U.S., right? And many of our companies, you take a company like Spotdraft, which is in contract management, 65% of their customers are all from the U.S., okay? And these are big customers. Airbnb is a customer. Notion is a customer. I mean, these are not, you know, no-name companies, right? Uh, a firm is a customer. And all of them have come inbound. So when these companies actually build on-the-ground sales teams in the U.S., which is what they're in-, in the process of doing, I think they have an opportunity to start with existing references of very well-known companies. And that all goes back into this holistic cycle of you're able to run large chunks of the GTM process from India, which wasn't true before. So you combine a large market opportunity with a winning product, being able to run it from India. Suddenly you're just running a much more efficient business model than an onshore competitor in the
1: US. I definitely want to, get back to talking about Arkham a little bit more, but this whole segue into the SaaS uh, opportunities I mean, it's so interesting. So if you'll permit me one or two questions more, I mean, do you feel the Indian enterprise uh, you know, companies, I mean, there are several very large companies, conglomerates, would you say that they are uh, missing out in some ways by not engaging more with uh, some really promising Indian SaaS software companies? I think it's changing, but Look, uh, it's hard to make
0: money as a SaaS company servicing pure India customers. Uh, And the answer is somewhere in between. I think more and more Indian enterprises are recognizing the value of these solutions. But I don't think the Indian mindset of, wanting to pay as much as a Western counterpart has changed, but that is rightly so because Indian margin structures are also different, right? And you can have a 30% EBITDA Indian company that is doing really well, still not willing to pay half a million dollars a year for a piece of software in terms of subscription, while a company with 20% Uh, EBITDA in the U.S. might still be willing to pay you a million dollars because they value, you know, innovation and growth a lot more. So India is on that curve, but not there yet, Hari. It's going to change, but the market is still not large enough. And what you'll find, and again, everything is not rosy, right? What you'll find in the wave of Indian SaaS companies that set out to sell only to Indian small businesses, for example, right? very few people have proven that you can make money selling to Indian small businesses. Okay. Because there are, I think, what's the number 99, 98% of Indian small businesses are less than 10 people. So if you're trying to sell on a user account, you're trying to sell to a company that wants to pay you $30,000 a year, it ain't happening in India. Right? So now you're left only with that 1% of small businesses And what you then find is India is a transaction market, which means if you can sell a SaaS software that is somehow linked to their transaction, which is why you'll find that many companies that set out building invoice management SaaS software in India for small businesses have now figured out that invoice management is just a hook. I get the customer. Now I'm going to become a lending company. Or I'm going to help them with cash flow management because that's a transaction. You can say, I helped you with this transaction. Here is my cut of that transaction. And you'll see that repeat in verticals in India. And when we talked about category creators earlier for our category creators, what they all do really well is understand where can we make money in the transaction, right? I'll actually use this to just jump back to that when I said we have a specific framework, right? What we really look for, Hari, is each of our founders has the clarity to come back and talk about hey, here is a lever I am going to exploit differently. Okay. Like, for example, if you take uh, somebody like a jar, right, they are not the first ones to think about gold as an asset class or small ticket savings. What is different about JAR is understand that there is tremendous friction in India for any process. If I want to save in gold, I then start photocopying and I go to the bank and I start taking my paperwork. Can I do this via an app in 45 seconds where it's almost no thought, right? If you take somebody like a Crazy Bee or Credit Bee, their cost of customer acquisition is 300 rupees to get one customer. A bank selling a credit card is 2000 to 5000 rupees now you look at the exponential delta by which you're competing and that is what we look for where are these companies able to rethink the market itself right somebody like a smart staff and i'll stop with the last example a lot of middle india doesn't think in terms of earning the way you and i do which is monthly paycheck and then i get an annual maybe i get an increment a bonus Middle India, people making between 3 lakhs and 20 lakhs a year in family income, or even three to 10, which is really the range, for most of them, they think daily, weekly. What is my earnings for this today? What is my earnings for this week? So somebody like a smart staff in their app is now allowing factory workers to actually encash their paycheck every week instead of even though the customer the enterprise pays them every month smart staff is finding a way to allow them to encash their paycheck every week or in some cases they are convincing the employer that if you pay every week or every two weeks you're going to have less attrition so these founders are leveraging technology to find a way to change the industry itself
1: very nice okay so let's talk about i mean You've gotten till here invested in some really interesting companies that are creating categories, like you said, and even profitably, as I just learned about Credit B. From here on, what's the plan over the next 12 months, 24 months? What are the companies, the kind of companies that you're coming across? What would you like to invest in?
0: Yeah, so, look, Rahul and I talk about this a lot. Um, We are currently... You know, in our fund one, we've got a portfolio of 14 companies. Uh, we just love the portfolio. We think it's very representative of what we seek to do as thesis-oriented investors. Currently, the sectors that we have invested in uh, are fintech. We have invested in skilling, which is Cusmat and Smart Staff. We've invested in agri and food, which is Jumbo Tail and Jay Kisan, right? Um, and, you know, we continue to uh, explore and, you know, some in deep tech, like a, uh, you know, Kusmat would fall somewhere in between. Uh, we haven't announced it yet, but we've got some more companies in the deep tech space. Right. But for us, we, we are, we, we do a lot of groundwork and segments. So we are actively exploring drones. We are actively exploring uh, companies, more companies in logistics uh, we're looking at if it comes data-oriented, analytical companies in climate tech. So I think we we are going to continue with the same thesis, but we think that there is a lot of opportunity in newer sectors that impact Middle India consumers, as well as the kind of SaaS companies that we had in mind. And so those are the kind of companies that uh, we're currently looking at.
1: What interests you with deep tech? And, and also tell us about your definition of deep tech.
0: Yeah that's a good question right um uh, see for us deep tech is not for example so, somebody could be building generalized ai right now right i mean chat gpt is all the uh, uh, you, you, you know all, all, all the thing out there uh, various forms of ai out there um something like that we would we would take a look but for us applications oriented deep tech is much more interesting uh, both Because we think it has real world applicability in the next 400, 500 million years. So Kasmat would be a really good example. How do you take something as sophisticated as VR, right? And actually go beyond saying, hey, I can help you with VR for the top 50 million Indians to figure out a better shirt size. You put it on or you can figure out your shoes. You can do that stuff. For us, it is, hey, there are 300, 400 million manufacturing workers or 300, 400 million people working in mines, in pharmaceutical companies, et cetera. Can you completely upskill them using brand new technology, right? So that is one example of deep tech. We're also looking at what kind of technology can be leveraged on top of India's infrastructure from a deep tech perspective around identity, right? Uh, Around how can you actually take the concept of digital identity beyond Aadhaar in India, right? Where you're beginning to see aspects of it when you go to the airport with your with a the, with the new one where, you know, you can do a visual scan and just walk right through without a boarding pass, right? Mm-hmm. So things like that, right? And then in drones, we've spent a lot of time. We think it's going to be a big area in India because you still don't have the right kind of networks to get people what they need once you go beyond the tier two cities in India, Right. So we've spent a lot of time, and today a lot of the action in drones is around the military, but you're gonna see a lot of consumer application just round the corner because the government's been on the forefront of opening up corridors, opening up the type of technologies that can be used. So that's the third area that we've been exploring.
1: Okay, one quick follow on question. Um, you know in in deep tech uh, there are now some companies in india trying to build really difficult hard engineering based you know physical products you know whether it's a computer vision based actuator for a robotic arm or somebody is doing something in uh, biotechnology that's not really been done before yeah what what are what are the challenges uh, i mean for you as a vc investor i'm sure you you come across many of these entrepreneurs um but when you look at them as an as a prospective uh, investee uh, what are the big challenges that come to your mind because these are long gestation projects and it's it's yeah. not guaranteed that they will succeed in the market yeah and they have to kind of by definition with these kinds of things they will have to build it for the global market and not really just for the india market so sorry for the longish sort of question but Yeah, no, I think it's a
0: really good question. I remember about a decade ago, uh, one of my neighbors in India was a chap from Intel uh, in uh, in Arizona, and he had come down here and he was kicking the tires in terms of, hey, can I build a new type of chip design for me? He's not even talking about building a, a, a fab and all that's like billions of dollars, right? But even then, it was a lot harder to convince somebody that, you know, you have the ability to succeed in anything that involves hardware out of India, right? Which is really part of your question. I think the environment has changed. Now, look, would Arkham go out and invest in a company that's designing a new drug, a biotech drug, or that's a company that's putting up a fab and building semiconductors? We would not because that's not part of our mandate, Right now but that's also when you broaden it out unfortunately in india i think the ecosystem is not deep enough where people have raised pools of capital to back a multi decade idea that is manufacturing centric just yet especially the tech vc crowd that you see in india today but it's changing i think you're you're beginning to see the first aspect I mean if you actually google you'll see some companies getting funded, but that is kind of where the saAS and some of the things what we were doing uh what we are doing today was ten years ago so I think it'll it'll change dramatically, and the government's also very supportive of uh, of trying to shift more of these ideas from a china to an India and I think that's going to make a difference
1: if if you were to expand uh, you know your comments on the on the ecosystem aspects of startups in India and just Broadly look at the entire startup scene in India today. What comes to your mind in terms of what is now mature and strong in India and what still needs work or is even missing?
0: Yeah. See, I'll break this up into a couple of buckets. I think every phase in India, right? I mean, um, if you start from 2006 to today, I mean, the first wave of VC firms, the Helions and the Kalaris and the Nexuses, when they started, today i think it's night and day right Um, not just in terms of the metrics like number of startups unicorns etc i just think the depth of being able to start a company put together a team have an idea and have enough sources of capital to go get the idea funded i think it's night and day so along those lines i think seed funding in india over the last decade is kind of just exploded right and you go through these waves and I would say there's a bit of a lull right now after what happened in 21. but I just think that there have been a lot of exits there is a lot of capital and not just founders and the technology folks in Bangalore or Mumbai or Delhi who are investing as angels, but I think you you're seeing a pretty big sea change in terms of family offices wanting for the first time viewing, Uh, startups and venture as a new asset class rather than saying, hey, you know, is this going to completely, you know, mimic on an annual basis everything that my stock market investments doing, fixed income investment is doing, but people actually buying into the fact that this is portfolio diversification and I'm investing in alpha and this is going to work out for me over over a 10-year period and it only applies to certain types of people, right? So I think all that has changed. But the most important ingredient that's changed is the volume and quality of founding teams. That is the at some level, I think the the single biggest benchmark that you can aim for because nothing else really matters, and that is clearly linked to how much funding is available you know what is available in the ecosystem in terms of being able to put together teams etc if you look at the valley right i mean it's taken is now 70 years 90 years but what happens in silicon valley is you can start a company tomorrow assemble a great team and go out and raise some funding and be off to the races and succeed or fail in a short period of time right um or sometimes you fail over a long period of time in india i think you're finally getting there, especially a place like Bangalore. Uh, if you look at the diversity of founding teams here, you know, B2C, B2B, D2C, uh, and, you know, two, three generations of smarter product managers, smarter salespeople, people who leave a Freshworks who now have some idea in terms of what to do with enterprise SaaS, people who are leaving, you know, maybe a mama earth or people who are leaving, uh, you know, even a credit B, right, in terms of what to do in fintech, how do you even deal with RBI. So these are all young people who are in their 20s, who have now gone through multiple cycles. So their learning curve is very, very short, right? And they're able to surround themselves with good teams, which just wasn't possible, Hari, six years ago, You very sparse, right? So I think those things have changed. Now, what hasn't changed is you can get a lot of head fakes in India where, India has changed and India has not changed in the sense India still remains a place, it's a hard place to do business, right? And a lot of these markets that I talked about financial services, food, agri, healthcare, etc. At an absolute basis, the market looks very large, right? Several hundred billion dollars, financial services, a trillion dollars. But you can get very excited by that, build a very nice pitch deck. But if you don't pick your problem the right way and you don't pick the category the right way, when we say we're looking for category creators, you know, the act of building a scalable, profitable company in India can still remain a mirage because it's a very hard place to do business, right? So the really smart founders are finding those intersections of markets and categories and margins that still scale. And that's not an easy task to do in India, where you could go in the U.S. and say, hey, I'm building a data center kind of company or I'm building a data warehousing tools company and legitimately make a case that I can be a unicorn and I can have a billion dollars in revenue at some point. In India, those categories don't exist even today. So clearly,
1: uh, from an investor's point of view, must be very exciting times and interesting times uh, to look at everything that's happening in India, which kind of brings me to question about questions about your own personal journey as well. Um, what got you thinking about becoming a VC investor in the first place? Ah,
0: See, like I like it started out, Hari, I, I started out at the public market level as, an, as a Wall Street analyst. And, and look, everything is top down. You're dealing with annual reports. You're dealing with numbers at a very abstract level. You're, you're as a young analyst in your 20s, You're on conference calls with CFOs of some of the largest companies in the world, whether it was an Oracle or any of those, right? And at some point for me, it became, hey, do I even really know what I'm talking about, right? Because I've never really operated. I've never really done anything, which kind of led me into product management, into sales, et cetera. So after AMBA got acquired by Moody's, my opportunity was to continue to run AMBA and, you know, possibly go back to New York and do that. But I'd spent a decade in India and I really felt, you know, there is the venture is an opportunity in a place like India where everything is emerging, everything we talked about. It's an opportunity to work with young founders and also give something back. If you know a thing or two as an operator, you know, it gives you a bit of an edge in the VC business. But I wouldn't overestimate that edge. I think the w- biggest thing I've learned is not to get too prescriptive with my companies. You know, if you're asked a question, you can provide a framework to think about it. But for me, the reason to get into VC was you had some framework in your own mind on how to evaluate things, how to think about founders, how to think about GTM based on your personal experiences. But I also don't get too carried away by that because this is a business uh, that can, it requires a lot of humility. I think it's the it's very much a function of uh you know being open to ideas working with the right founders and getting lucky with amazing founders who then bring the company to to reality um and and also you know whatever little you can help along the way helps yeah
1: think a little bit more about uh you know in terms of the lessons uh from your from different phases of your career for example as one of the top leaders at Amba research uh, and then later on as as a VC investor um what were the what have been the biggest lessons
0: yeah i know that's a good one Hari. look I, off late i've thought about that more because when you're in your early days of your career you at least i i don't i wish i had done more of that you know look back but i do find today's founders and younger people today reflect on that a lot more and look the the us is a very interesting place many of the lessons i've learned um if i think back uh, from my stint in the states, where I was there eighteen years, were really, you know, it pays to be direct with people. Okay, I, I do think there is a little bit of a which is in, culturally as an Indian for me, uh, you know, we all grow up in a little bit of uh, 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 of of kind of I wouldn't say beating around the bush, but I would say a lack of a a, a very direct approach to conversations, right? So, one of the biggest things that I've learned in this, I learned in the States from my early bosses. and again, I, I think the one of the biggest lessons also is to try to find people to work for from whom you can learn things. It's very easy to just focus on your own career, right? But one of the biggest lessons I learned from my bosses is, hey, if you want something, ask for it and be direct, right? So you don't have to, mumbo-jumbo your way around a conversation. You don't really have to, you know, sulk in oblivion. If you, for example, want to raise, just spit it out and it's either going to work or not work. But that's, you know, stood me good stead over the decades, because even with my founders, I think one of the things is really, you know, to say what you, you will do and do it. Right. So that's one part. The second lesson is really be very open to trying new things. Honestly, I have a lot of colleagues from my analyst days who remain analysts on Wall Street. They're doing extremely well. Uh, Some of them have gone to the buy side. But for me, it was a big risk to jump from that to product management, which I'd never done into a startup, right? But it kind of paid off. I, I, I would never give it up for anything else. So trying new things, but again, in the context of being willing to fail i think made a pretty big difference to me and that that same track continued moving to india after 18 years in the us was a uh, was a wonderful opportunity for us and as a vc i think uh, what i said earlier for me some of the biggest things has been hey try to do things that you enjoy sectors that you enjoy sectors that you you really like because you can simply add more value to your founders and uh, and vice versa, I just think uh, you're able to also partner with people who feel that, you know, you you mean what you say and you stand for what you do. So if you look at Arkham today, both Rahul and I, you know, what we really believe in is a certain culture by which we operate with our founders. And we may not be the largest VC firm out there, but pound for pound, if you talk to the ecosystem, you'll find that people say, hey, yeah, you know what? They're sharp guys who roll up their sleeves and they'll work with us and we try to bring all our own lessons to bear in how we do it because ultimately, the best thing we can do is be supportive of our founders and help them in their journey.
1: 35, 40 years ago, I guess, in terms of career choices, people would typically try to look at becoming an engineer or a a doctor or maybe get into the civil services. I mean, I know those are sort of the limited choices, but uh, that said, what is your earliest memory of what you wanted to become (laughs) you know
0: my honestly my earliest memory was just that was full of confusion i didn't know what the hell i was going to do so i went to bits pilani and what my the fog lifted when i graduated from bits in a different way much to the chagrin of my dad Uh was as soon as i graduated i knew i didn't want to have anything to do with engineering i graduated as an engineer and i said wow this chapter is open and shut trial right when you're graduating and Honestly, that's a lot of clarity, okay? Mm -hmm. Uh, So that was, and I, I was interested in finance. I got a lucky break in a brokerage firm. I loved it. And so that worked out, right? So I think today, I mean, the world's your oyster depending on who you are in India. And I think everybody's changed, right? Grandparents have changed, parents have changed. And I think young people have changed. And frankly, they're not even asking for your opinion anyway, which is a good thing. I actually believe this stuff about, you know, hey, look to others for expertise and listen to other people. I think you should with uh, a heavy dose of skepticism because everybody's coming from their own frame of reference, which may not be applicable for where you're going today. So uh, so I just find today's young found not just founders, right, young people. and And there is a lot of excitement around wanting to be in the VC ecosystem, wanting to be a startup founder, But I feel what is very underappreciated is simply the value of being in a good startup and watching and learning for the first three, four years of your life. I mean, I meet a lot of young folks who have just graduated. Hey, I'm just going to start up, which is a very Indian thing, right? These days. And yes, you're going to find one out of a hundred who who is really going to be the next Bini or Sachin Bansal. Yeah, fantastic. But even they worked at an Amazon. They worked somewhere. And I think for the average person interested in being in the startup business or founding a company, there's huge value to eliminating mistakes by working for somebody, observing what's going on, and then starting something on your own.
1: What did your father do? Uh
0: my father was in the uh, paper industry. Mm-hmm. So he was a, he was in the, you know, basically it's a government uh, agency. So we were in paper mills. So we grew up all over India. So I was in Delhi for a few years, Calcutta for a few years, we were in Kerala for a few years. I'm from Chennai, but I've actually lived there only two years of my life. Mm-hmm. My parents are there now. Mm-hmm. Then went to bed. So we moved around a lot. And that was the days of the, you know, of government jobs were the thing, you know.
1: If you, you, I think you spoke about uh, jumping into product management and how that taught you a lot. Looking back, can you think about pivotal experiences uh, in the sense that maybe something that put you out of your comfort zone, or something that was a big low or a big high, all of that, and, and what did you learn from them?
0: See, for me, the one of the biggest things that I do share even with my kids, uh, whenever they they even feel like listening or and there's no compulsion, is that I just think you've got to be more forgiving of yourself, okay? Where there is this tremendous pressure in your 20s and 30s where, hey, the next guy always seems to be ahead of you, you know, whether it's your career, it's your girlfriend, it's your salary, it doesn't matter. And I think one of the biggest lessons for me has been that when people say, hey, go with your strengths, very often it takes a decade to understand what your strengths are. And your strengths are not your grades. Your strengths are not your salary. Your strengths are not, uh, you you know how many promotions you've gotten, but your strengths are what you stand out somewhat differently from others. And you don't have to be, you know, Elon Musk, right? So for example, uh, what i realized only after about seven or eight years is hey you know what i'm much better off in a customer facing role i'm much better off because i feel i like to communicate and i'm able to communicate and and so nobody starts out saying communication is my strength maybe today they do in those days it was all about hey I'm, i work at goldman or i work here i do this i do that but something like a communication part or writing, et cetera, in the context of a job lends itself to certain types of roles. And it takes you more time to figure out because there's no degree in Bitspilani that says communication. People might say, hey, you talk a lot, but that doesn't mean anything, right? So one of my biggest lessons have been, you know, take your time to figure out what is it that you enjoy, right? I mean, I enjoy being with people. I enjoy talking to people. I enjoy trying to take a concept and break it down and have a conversation around it, right? So that's not a very, it's a subtle thing. It's not a very obvious thing. The second thing I would say is just the diversity of experiences, right? I mean, I've done product management, I've done sales, uh, I've been an analyst. So I just think that requires, and that's plus and minus, right? And I'll be very honest with you that many times I wonder if I've just run around to so many places just to, Get back to square one, like uh, if if your only uh, shall I say if your only benchmark was hey economically how did I do and you know uh, have I have I actually gone out and put so much in my in my bank and have I have I actually gone out and got the type of car I wanted and house I wanted, you know one could argue just be if you got a job be in that job and stay in that geography be there forever and so we moved around a lot and. Uh, if that was the benchmark, it's a total waste of my time. I could have still been in the States and done whatever I have done. But the last, even the last 12, 13 years for me, 15 years in India, have been an enormous from an experience perspective. I met people that I would never have met before. I made friends. And I, I just think that last part is what you value much later in your life, which is, you know, a life outside work. And you know, what does that mean? And I, I just think that those are all the things that would be, what do you enjoy outside work? Oh, I, uh, look, I've got a sh- a small group of very close friends. Um, we meet very often just to talk about everything but work, uh, including life, including philosophy, including meditation, including everything. I've been playing the guitar for about seven, eight years now. I learned yes. that on the side. I, I still don't think I'm very good, but I can play uh, a few songs. Yeah. Okay and uh, I try to spend a lot of time with my family, yeah.
1: A- any preference? What kind of guitar? I mean, classical, acoustic.
0: Yeah, no, it's, uh, acoustic, guitar, um, a, a lot of, I, I, a little bit of Western classical, but, but mainly, uh, you know, old school rock songs, yeah. And I, I can't sing for nuts, so that's a big drawback in this whole thing. <laughs> All
1: right. Okay, one, one last question. Um, we Today, uh, we get an obscene level of, Notifications, unwanted ones, emails, whatnot. Uh, do not disturb. Registration definitely does not work. What is your biggest productivity hack on a daily basis? For me, I'm a morning person. And I
0: think uh, what I get done between, say, 5.30 and 8.00 in terms of thinking, right? You, there's a small meditation session is way more valuable than what I do between 9.00 and 9.00 right? And I do go to bed early. And so if you're looking for a VC that you want to have a conversation at, at 1130, I'm very willing. I've had those conversations, but I, it's just not very productive. So on an emergency basis, I do it, right? Well, my partner Rahul is the exact opposite. He's a night owl, right? Which works for him. But for me, you know, having the morning two, three hours to think is very valuable and then you can continue doing what you're doing late night calls i mean we have we have companies that are doing gtm in the u.s west coast so you're on calls with them till 10 or 11 but is that my sharpest when i think in terms of a productivity hack for me no it's very very transactional late night for me right so for me finding those couple of hours in the morning is is a lot more valuable than eight hours the rest of the day
1: very nice fantastic conversation bala and Definitely, some of your points about uh, you know forgiving, being more forgiving towards oneself, uh, uh, definitely you know comes across as deep insight from very lived experience. I can see that. Thank you so much again for very generously making time for me. Definitely hope to keep the conversation going.
0: Thank you, thank you, Hari. They were great questions, and I really enjoyed being on your show.
1: That's it for this week's Startup Fridays, and I'll be back with another conversation soon. Until then. Have a great Friday and a wonderful weekend.